Welcome to season three of Overcoming Working Mum Burnout. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, mum, behavior scientist, and burnout survivor. I interview DEI leadership and mental health experts to uncover burnout solutions at the individual, family, work, and cultural levels. When mums thrive, the world benefits. Please take a moment to check out my website at drjacquelinekerr.com. Click on the free guides button and find solutions for burnout that support individual team and organizational change. If you're worried about regrettable turnover and quiet quitting, but already have too much on your plate, I can provide a comprehensive roadmap to help you improve wellness, belonging, and engagement through an overarching burnout prevention strategy. So you can have thriving, diverse leadership teams. Karen Tischler is a job-sharing expert and podcast host who helps companies understand the benefits of flexible work arrangements. Flexibility is a key solution to burnout, particularly in working mums. But more than location flexibility, employees want flexibility when they work. Karen shares the many advantages to having two brains in a single role and how it opens up the talent pool to increase expertise and diversity at work. I hope you learn as much from this conversation as I did. Hello, I'm Karen Tischler. I have two children. I am the founder of Emily's Path Consulting, and I host the podcast Job Sharing and Beyond. Thank you so much, Karen, for being here today. And I'm going to show off a little bit and say Grüß Gott, which is a typical Munich greeting from my time of living in Germany. And obviously, that's where you're from. Thank you so much. That's one of the indications when you're traveling anywhere else but Bavaria within Germany that people immediately can detect where within Germany you're coming from. And actually one time when I was visiting in Berlin and I said Gruß Gott to, to the baker and it actually means greetings to God. And she said in reply, I hope not today because <laughs> she didn't want to die or <laughs> She was obviously taking the mickey out of me. The other thing is bread rolls, semel. That would be another way of uh, detecting where somebody is from within Germany because there are many different words for bread roll in Germany. I've had quite a, an international and mixed career. So tell me about your journey to where you are now in your career. So I would say I started off which back then was, I would say, the sort of the typical upbringing, a typical message when I grew up in Germany, get good grades, go into a good university and get a good job. That sort of was my mission, how I envisioned my life. And so I grew up, as you mentioned, close to Munich. I finished my high school. I did an industrial merchant apprenticeship at IBM. And then I decided I needed to learn more English. And so I went to England as an au pair. And after being there for a year, I decided that as I've now improved my English, I didn't want to go back to Germany and forget it all. So I decided to study in England. And that's where I studied economics. So I have a master's from the University of Oxford. And then I became a management consultant. And one of the projects as the management consultant was in the US. And I basically ended up staying 
at the client and I became the head of the competitive intelligence department there. And I had my first child. And as typical at the time in the US or at the company, after about three months, I returned to my position. And within a month, together with 9% of the workforce, I was laid off. And I was then realizing I was struggling to find a more flexible work role and was unable to do and ended up becoming a stay-at-home mom for 11 years and homeschooling my children too. And then I returned to the professional life as a researcher. At this point, I'm in Canada and I'm realizing that even so many years later, different country later, that when I talk to professionals who have been an unpaid care worker for many years, that they were still struggling to return back to paid work due to the lack of flexible work opportunities beyond the entry-level position, as well as the fact that their unpaid care work was perceived to be a career gap. I then decided to create Emily's Path Consulting, and to host the podcast, Job Sharing and Beyond. Great. Thank you. That's such a rich experience. And I'm glad you're bringing that experience and mentioning the struggles of having a pause in work and also the struggles of finding flexible work. So how else did motherhood change your career or your approach to life? Before I was a mother, I was very much focused on numbers. I always enjoyed numbers. As a management consultant, doing competitive research, I loved research, I loved numbers. And so I honestly estimated the change motherhood would bring. Everybody tells you your life is forever changed. And while I conceptually and intellectually, I understood that, I think I underestimated the emotional part that would change inside of me. And so the fact that here I have this little kid And leaving a little child from in the morning at whatever, seven or eight until six o'clock at night in a childcare just was, to be honest, heartbreaking to me. And never understood that emotional connection beforehand. And the other aspect as well, I've dealt a lot with the numbers. And now all of a sudden, my job had become, how can I ensure that my child stays alive that I'm raising a child to become a member of society in the long run. So I realized what a difference in responsibility it was. And that struggle that we have between our love for our children, but also then our love for our work, it's been described as a parent paradox that we really struggle with those two things. So how have you experienced or managed burnout as a mother? Yeah, so that question, it's when I was working as a management consultant, I would say I was doing so many all-nighters, which is especially at the time, a very typical way of management consulting and harsh deadlines and everything. However, I feel, and going back to this personal responsibility, one panic attack that I'm aware of that I've had was When my children were very little, my husband was traveling basically the entire week. And so here I was 
with two children, like an infant and another child under the age of three. And I was thinking to myself, what if I fall over? If something happens to me, here I am all by myself. And that really created that anxiety because my family is in Germany. And yeah, it was a completely different responsibility, really. And that stressed me out much more than looking at numbers and facing deadlines. And as you mentioned there with your husband traveling so much, if he had a more flexible job, that would have been helpful. And I can also understand those challenges we also have in terms of not having family nearby. It really is makes things a struggle. Why is job sharing such an important option for burnout prevention? Yeah. I'm a huge fan of job sharing. I want to establish job sharing typically is two people working one full-time job together. However, there are many combinations and there could be also two people working a full-time job, both sharing a role as job sharers. But see, in the case of working part-time as two job sharers together, the difference is between a quote-unquote, typical part-time job where it could creep in that your boss might say, this Friday afternoon, I really need you to be there because there is an important meeting or we have this extra deadline coming up. Could you just maybe add a couple of extra hours or could you do something at night versus when you have two people job sharing one position while one is off, the other person is doing the work. And the big aspect about job sharing is you form a relationship built on trust. So you know that your job sharing partner will do as good of a job as you would do because you have to trust, say, one day you're putting together a presentation and the act speaking and standing up and doing the presentation might fall on the day where you're not there, but it will be your partner doing it. And so by Doing this, you truly have work-life balance. And I therefore feel that really helps with burnout. The other aspect of it is that you have a sparing partner because job sharing not only works in like more entry-level positions, but also as a co-leadership position. And that is sometimes called top sharing. And so let's say you have to make a difficult personnel decision or some other decision that might be not that straightforward. Having another person where you can basically act as sparing partners and that other person has a different background, maybe different complementary skills will really put you much more at ease and you can rely on that person having equally amount of interest in doing that job well. So I really think these things together make a huge difference. It's such an important form of peer support as well as practical support. It definitely sounds so great and makes so much sense. One of my listeners, a friend and colleague, he's a dad and he's a leader. He's the CEO of of his own technology company. And he had said he listens to the show to help him get ideas for how to better support his female employees who often end up becoming moms. And one of the things that he was so frustrated by was he wanted to give them the option of having part-time work, but his ability to find somebody else who also 
had the skills. He wanted really high technical skills. And he couldn't find, for example, on hiring websites like Indeed, really good options to hire or to even advertise for high skill workers in part-time jobs. He just was seeing that wasn't there in that type of website. So he wasn't going to be finding those people through those systems. So it really made me think about some of the barriers people could be facing to make this a reality. So that's my question to you is, what are some of the barriers to job sharing or other forms of flexible work that you described? And if you want to say more about the different types, if they have different barriers, what are the barriers that you're working to overcome? Yeah, I honestly feel just what you described, because it isn't so common yet in different countries, there aren't enough role models. So some people simply don't know that job sharing exists. And if you don't have a role model, I would say it makes people more nervous potentially to try things out because in the first way of thinking about it, people think, oh my goodness, now I have to have two employees instead of one that I have to take care of or that I have to manage. Not realizing that if you have two people, it is actually easier because, as I mentioned before, they use each other as sparing partners and therefore they will only go to their respective manager if they have something that they can't solve themselves. So that really helps. The other thing is, yes, it is more costly initially because of like employee costs, but by the same token, one has to think about it more on a long-term basis because from a branding perspective, you are able to attract more people when you are able to say we are working flexible. So one example I would always like to bring is Zurich Hey. What they did is they added six additional words to their job ads, and they were part-time flexible work and job sharing. And by doing that, they observed not only did they increase substantially the female applicants? It was across all genders and it was also across all job levels. Once you make yourself known as a employer who is interested in offering flexible work, especially beyond the entry-level position, people will come to you. The other thing I feel what nowadays people still equate part-time as people who are searching for part-time might not be as career interested, not as ambitious. And that obviously couldn't be further from the truth. So I feel there is a lot of misperceptions. And returning back to what you had mentioned, the gentleman, there are organizations out already. So Work Muse would be a great start in the US. There is a job sharing community. Then there is RollShare in the UK. They are building an app to be able to match job sharers well together. So there are 
a lot of pieces of information out there already, but they're across different countries. And so it sometimes is a little bit tricky to find all of these. So thanks for that. And as you mentioned, all these different countries that you're working with now that you've lived in and worked in before, and obviously with your podcast, you're interviewing international experts. What have you learned from other countries that can help us move on here in the U.S., either more generally around work, diversity, equity, burnout, or very specifically in terms of more flexible work options? I would say, especially in Europe with Switzerland, the UK and Germany, job sharing is much more common, but also in some organizations, part-time careers. Like I remember at SAP, there was an example of somebody who was a triathlete and was working part-time while doing all the training, but was able to move up in her career while doing that training. And so I think that now, especially looking at the pandemic, where you have a lot of people potentially having to opt out my belief is that more and more organizations are going to have to reevaluate why people would like to work for the organization. And I feel flexibility is a huge aspect. And like going back to job sharing, when somebody, for example, is planning to retire and that person has a lot of knowledge, having an intergenerational job sharing opportunity is perfect because then the expertise that person further along in their career have, they can pass it along to somebody who might be more junior and the more junior person might have some technical skills or other insights that they can share. So it's a win-win for both people. In Switzerland, for example, um, I'm aware of job sharers who come from two different language backgrounds. So having a mother tongue speaker in German and the other one in French, that's basically something that you can really find in one person. So to me, that's opportunities and looking at things differently that maybe are not undervalued at this point in time. And I strongly feel that we need to look much more at men and fathers, because in my mind, we can help elevate mothers and women and support them. But if we don't give fathers the opportunity to get engaged in care work and have flexible work opportunities at the same level as mothers, it won't get us to gender equality as quickly as otherwise. And I feel that in Europe, there are father networks within organizations that I'm not sure exist in many countries around the world. And also where there are a lot of role models who speak out about parenting, taking extended parent leave. And as an example, one of my guests had the opportunity to work in Norway while his second child was born. And as it is common in Norway, the parental leave gets split. So he took five months of parental leave and was quite nervous about it because that's not something culturally he was aware of in France and realized 
that it is so common that there are men together having father and baby groups, etc. He wrote a blog about it, then wrote a book about it, and in the end was actually able, together with some other dad advocates, to lobby the French government to increase the paternity leave from two weeks to four weeks. One person can do a lot of change, but it really requires, in my mind, everybody working together. And I so appreciate a lot of what you said there. So first, maybe I'll unpack it a little bit, that intergenerational and interlanguage opportunities and benefits of job sharing. I think it's great to hear those advantages And having in my prior work in public health worked a lot with older adults, I just love those intergenerational approaches. There's just so much value to that. So that's great. And then really moving on to what you're saying about engaging men in this process. My focus, obviously, in this podcast is on working mum burnout. And that really came from a lot from my experience and from believing that the differences in the causes of burnout are quite different for mothers and for women because it is based so much on these inequalities. But that's also recognizing that if we do have something like paid leave for all caregivers, men do not feel free to take it because of the same social expectations that mothers being this strong provider and not being a caregiver. So I agree, we really need men to be part of this. And that's what I try to address more broadly in my TEDx talk is that all of us together can solve these issues. And again, from the start, if a dad is home more with his infant, then it changes the whole trajectory for the mother in terms of when she can go back to work, his ability to continue to be a caregiver. It really does make a difference long-term. So it's not just that the moment itself counts, it is that long-term trajectory. I can see that from all your work that you're doing a great job in engaging the men in this process. So that is one of my questions for you in terms of how can I do that better? Again, from my behavioral science side, role models are so important. I've been thinking about how can we support men as caregivers to then become the decision makers to work in politics or organizations. So the example you gave was great, where basically someone who experienced it then became the role model and advocate. But any other ideas? Because you've obviously thought about this a lot. Yeah, feel is literally, it starts off just not differentiating, just making it a gender neutral parental leave. So Volvo, for example, they announced that it's a gender neutral parental leave across the world. And I think that helps already because I feel underlyingly if you say the main parental leave person gets let's say 20 weeks and then the secondary which most often is say a dad gets two weeks so psychologically I feel that already sets it off at an imbalance right from the get-go and I think one other thing that needs to be done again on a role model basis is especially the more senior a male leader is, do they talk about their parenting experience? Or it doesn't have to be parenting experience. It could be looking after elderly relatives. Do they talk about it saying, I have to leave at three because I'm helping out my elderly relative or I'm taking my child to 
a piano lesson. So by doing this, the higher on a leadership level, the easier it is then for a more junior person to say, okay, this person does it so I can do too. The other person in the US that I'm really appreciative about is Alex Ohanian, who is the, the co-founder of Reddit. And he has spoken very passionately about his parental leave and when his wife Serena Williams had challenges during the birth and afterwards and how grateful he was that he could have that parental leave. And I think one other aspect is to avoid that men become quote-unquote helpers only is to enable them to take care of the child by themselves for a period of time because it will force them to rely on themselves. And I think this is not tomorrow, but in future generations, I feel very strongly that, say, in a high school setting or university setting, we need to have care work units or a practicum, an internship, maybe at preschool or at an elderly pensioner's home, increase the value of care work for students early on to understand that this is true work. It is emotional work. It is exhausting emotionally and sometimes physically too. But I think too often they have very little interaction and might feel nervous about actually doing care work. One of my guests was Amy Henderson, and I love her book, Tending, because she describes all the research she has done that no matter what gender, being a primary carer for a young child really changes you biologically. So, you know, the stigma, the perception that it is only moms who are capable of caring is simply wrong. It is also biological. And I think you're right to call it stigma, because I think that is one of the stereotypes that's not helpful, is that men are not capable caregivers. If you think about the movies that are just putting men as caregivers as hopeless and comedic, and it's not true, can develop that ability to be capable emotionally, but also partly because Again, their brains change, as Amy has shown and neuroscience has shown. And I think it's also that other side as mother and a wife to trust. So one of the things I certainly learned in my experience, and part of this really came from trying to use Eve Rodsky's fair play cards in our household and share the parenting and household load more. And my husband coming back to me and saying, I don't really want to take on additional tasks if you're going to criticize me in doing those tasks. And lots of fathers and husbands have presented that issue. So she addresses it. Our way to work through these issues is for me literally to not be here, <laughs> to leave. And so then he does it exactly how he wants to without me looking at I'm trying obviously not to be critical, but <laughs> my face probably says it all. And I trust him. I totally trust him to do that. But I had to realize, okay, the best way for him to be the dad he wants to be is for me to have a total break and not be there, which is great for me too. So that's how we worked that one out. I think that's awesome. And I completely agree with you. So my husband happens to be an engineer who worked in clean rooms. So he is 
very precise as far as cleaning, as far as cooking, all of these things. And I'm in that respect, less precise. It goes across gender. And I think it is also a relief for women to hear this because I feel there is so much pressure on being this quote-unquote perfect mother. And, and that's like why I love talking with dads to make people realize. I talked to Michael Ray from Australia, who is a solo dad and basically has taken care of his daughter from very early on. And the challenges he has also faced because of still the stereotypical misperception, starting from he wasn't allowed to go behind the scene in the waiting area when his four-year-old daughter was doing a ballet recital because he was male. And so many aspects where he might perceived as quote-unquote the helper. Or So I feel the more we talk about it, that... And also going back to my example with Norway, in preschools, there are many more men who are preschool teachers, which early on makes the children realize anybody could be a carer. So to them, seeing male preschool teacher is normal. And so I think it helps set that mindset for a young child in Norway. Yes, I can take care of kids regardless of what gender I am. And that's why I think it's systems change. Those teachers are paid well to do that role. So that's part of it too. It's really valuing the role and having both genders play the role. So yeah, that's how we have systems change. I feel like that so much when people point the finger at burnout and say, oh, do self-care. There are so many things in the system. Yes, you can manage stress, but there's all these structural causes of inequality that then lead to burnout. I'm so glad we're having this conversation and you have all those great international examples. I also wanted to ask a little bit more about your podcast because recently, for example, you focused on 31 days of transferable skills and another sort of theme you had about it's possible. So what are the skills and solutions that we need to learn and implement? Because obviously that's such a focus of my work is actually what does it take to do these things? Yeah. So the reason I started the transferable skills initiative across 31 days in December was that I feel one of the reasons maybe why there is still such a struggle that often unpaid care work is simply not perceived to be as real work, so to speak. It's a gap in somebody's resume. Instead of really thinking about what transferable skills does somebody learn from this? What practical leadership skills does one gain? And in a way, when one looks at it from a first perspective, this is somebody on their own time and money is actually upskilling him or herself. And so I feel as society as a whole need to talk about this because then when it comes time for somebody to apply for a position, instead of somebody reading a resume and says, oh, there is a gap. Instead, this is my goal. One day they look at it and say, oh, this life module that person had implies 
they learned flexible thinking, creativity, leadership skills, empathy, patience, and the, it is perceived as something positive. But we have still a long way to go. One of my guests recently was Professor Fuller from the Harvard Business School, and he co-authored a report called Hidden Workers Untapped Talent. And basically, they identified about 27 million hidden workers within the US, and they had many categories, not only care workers. It could be somebody who might have a health challenge, um, veterans, expats, somebody previously incarcerated. So many people who are not currently in the workforce or are underemployed. And one of the things they discovered was that many organizations with their ES system have a algorithm. If there is a quote-unquote gap of more than six months, that resume will be automatically kicked out. So one of the things is really, as you were talking earlier, from a structural point of view is how can organizations become more inclusive? And so using AI to its advantage to create a more diverse workforce, because one of the things is... I'd like to quote one of my favorite books, which is Range by David Epstein, that shows that linear careers can lead to many discoveries, innovations, inventions, because of these thought process backgrounds that people gain by having multiple careers or working in different industries or being unpaid care worker, the former CEO of the Girl Scouts of the USA, who only started her professional career when she was in her mid-50s. And she had all of these transferable skills from her volunteering and unpaid care work until that point in time. And I think that's why I love this book so much, because it really demonstrates there are all these skills that people have gained that are not being utilized. And it makes me think about having resumes that basically aren't necessary date here to date here employment, but instead skill this. When, where did you get it? When did you get it? Skill that. Where did you get it? You know, it just is flipping that model of the resume. And I agree using AI to be positive because there are so many things baked into the systems that prevent us progressing and prevent us having equality. And I think that's something that people really don't understand that there could be an AI that prevents certain groups getting brought forward or that even like you mentioned earlier, the wording of the job discourages women or mothers from applying. So yeah, there's so many things that are part of that, but we need to care enough to be measuring that to then want to change it. And one aspect I just wanted to mention, it just remembered yesterday in a Harvard Business Review article that the role of a manager within an organization is changing because of more remote work that previously it was much more hierarchical and it was a manager walking in the room. These are the things you have to do today and I'll come and check on you, so to speak. And nowadays it is much more of a coach type relationship and a lot of managers are struggling because this is not what they had anticipated management to be. 
And now you look at when you are a parent, what do you do nonstop? You coach your children all the time. And, and so that's what I feel as he was a stay-at-home parent coming back. They would be an ideal manager because they have the patience, because they have this coaching ability. And then going back to job sharing. So if you are working like part-time paid work and then part-time you're coaching your children, you're volunteering, you can use these skills you practice every day in the other part of your life. And so you're basically growing both parts. So yeah, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about that. I love that. I love that because I think it's so important. One, yes, authoritarian management is not going to work anymore practically and going forward. So I agree. And I also agree how important coaching is. So I think coaching is so important for mothers and for any employee not only because they learn then how to communicate better, how to manage their emotions better, but then they can also learn to coach others. And that's where I tie it back as well in the work I do back to mothers have these skills and parents have these skills and our roles as coaches. Because again, authoritarian parenting has gone out the window too. And that was definitely part of my journey because that's what I grew up with. And I implemented it as soon as I had my kids. And then I was like, oh, this doesn't feel right to me, but I don't know how else to be a parent. So yeah, I had to get help from a coach and start to let go of that controlling and micromanaging mindset that I had. So yeah, I see it in both ways. As a parent, you need some coaching. And as an employee, it will help all of us be better parents and managers going forward because it is those collaboration and creativity and compassion that we need to have for ourselves and others. So tell us a little bit more about Emily's Path Consulting, its name and how you help companies and individuals. Yeah. So the name Emily's Path Consulting comes actually, I was reading an article about mythology and there was Emily and she was leading a very traditional life was married and then at some point in her life she decided to become independent and back at that story it was that she was riding along with other hunters and so to me it was the epitome of here is somebody who is a professional then becomes an unpaid care worker and then after a period of time returns back to the professional work but has learned so much about him or herself and is therefore able to maybe better realize what the meaning is of their career or where they feel they're good at. And basically, as far as helping organizations, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about it. I feel very strongly that giving presentations or like there is an upcoming Hacking HR conference where I will be talking to HR personnel to share more what it is that especially returning professionals can bring to the table as we just discussed about the transferable skills and in general working with organizations to make them more aware why flexible work is so important and how that really can help with the retention and attraction of talent strategy. And as we are looking around 
every time I look at LinkedIn, there is a great resignation. And so I feel we are in the midst of a huge change. And I strongly feel during the whole pandemic, it's not over in the sense of the childcare situation in the US, but also across many other countries, I think has become even trickier than it was before. And schooling is also not quite as certain as it was before because of quarantine, etc. So I truly believe that the mind shift of organizations needs to be much more towards flexible work in a much broader aspect than they might have previously seen it. I think that's so important to mention because I was reading that childcare costs have gone up 41% in the US since COVID. And then we know that so many have shut down. And it's just, again, I think it goes back to your example, though, in Norway, we need to pay our caregivers much more reasonable wages so that the job is valued, respective and attractive. I think it is also like a market change that we need to have. But again, there's data showing how much the US government spends on childcare, say for toddlers per year, it's $500 per child annually compared to 14,000 in other developed countries. So there's a big difference in the investment overall across you know, the social system here as well. And, and so I feel it goes back also, if you have, say, a couple, and if both people were able to work reduced hours, let's say for the first two or three years of their child's life, maybe that would reduce the need for them to have childcare. So if they are in a area where childcare is really scarce, so it enables them to continue working. And if organizations are flexible where it isn't nine to five, but maybe they have a certain period of core hours, but the rest can be done maybe when one parent looks after the children in the morning or at night. So I feel there needs to be much more flexibility in the broadest terms. Yeah, That's great. I can see that. I love how you describe it. It just makes it such a good practical solution to so many of these issues. So let's just tie up today. I always ask my guests to have one behavior change that you would recommend either for mums themselves, so at the individual level, or companies, something that they could start today to really start to make a difference. Yeah. So I feel one big aspect, and it ties back to the transferable skills. I feel whether that is somebody coming back from parental leave, they should really think about what have I gained? What type of skills have I learned during that experience? And then the employer should be really asking when somebody returns, what have you gained? And it doesn't have to be, quote unquote, only during parental leave. I feel a lot of the times there might be somebody who is, let's say, a soccer coach or does some other volunteering and is learning leadership skills that can be utilized at work but nobody knows about it. Nobody is asking. So maybe that could be something for a manager to listen. Is there something you have done recently, whether it's structured or unstructured outside of work, where you feel you've gained something that has helped you with your current work? That's such a fantastic question. Because it's acknowledging that we have lives out of work that contribute, but also really prioritizing 
those skills for the workplace too. Great. Thank you so much for your time today. It's just been so fascinating to talk to you. And I love your expertise, your passion and your vision too. It's really inspiring. Thank you so much, Jacqueline, for having me as a guest. It was so wonderful talking with you and sharing with your listeners, you know, examples from around the world, because I always believe there is no point in reinventing the wheel. If it already exists successfully elsewhere in the world, why not utilize it and maybe tweak it a little for the local circumstances, but have a starting point already. Thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to check out my website, www.drjacquelinecurr.com for your free guides to prevent burnout. And please remember, burnout can be related to serious health problems. If you're experiencing physical or mental health symptoms, please contact a health provider or call the appropriate helpline. This podcast does not replace medical advice. Take care. Feel the power Everything that you need